0: Welcome to the Association 4.0 podcast, your association's no-fluff playbook to navigating and thriving in Industry 4.0 or the digital marketplace. Each week, we bring expert insights to help you and your association stay ahead of the curve.
1: Hi, everyone. My name is Sharon Rice, and I'm the Managing Director of Business Strategy for .org Source. Today, I'm really happy to have with me Christine Saxman. Christine is a diversity, equity, inclusion consultant. Uh, She has her own company, Saxman Consulting. And I have been talking to Christine on and off for the last week or so and just thought it was a really good opportunity um, to help her maybe connect with a wider audience and for all of us to be able to take some time, focus on diversity, equity, inclusion, and learn some things today. So, Christine, I'm very glad to have you with me.
0: Yes. Thank you, Sharon. I'm happy to be here.
1: So talk a little bit, um, help us get started understanding what your journey has been to get to this point where you're doing this consulting work now. Sure. Thank you
0: for that question. So I come to this work through education. Um, I was a classroom English high school teacher (laughs) for 15 years. And it was during my student teaching, honestly, when I first came up against the question of what does it mean to be a white person who's teaching lots of different people who don't share my same experience. And so I had an experience teaching a young black uh, girl during my student teaching that made me realize like, I don't think I know everything I need to know about this. Um, And that prompted me on my own learning journey um, as I was becoming a teacher. And that brought me in contact with Um, Seed, Seeking Educational Equity and Diversity, as well as Pacific Educational Group, Courageous Conversations About Race. And I I owe a lot to both of them for who I am today as a white person doing this work that includes racial and um, other types of social equity. I left the classroom three years ago (laughs) and started consulting full-time. Before that, I had started consulting on on the side, first in educational realms, but then found a lot of uh, symbiosis with not-for-profit groups, um, corporate groups, and just really wrestling like what does what does it mean to consider diversity, equity, inclusion as as integral to what we're doing um, as an organization.
1: Well, like, you know, over the last couple of years, as I've been working with organizations on their strategic plans, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion is always a topic of conversation. So, as we're setting goals for the organization, they may be three to five year goals. If, uh, if these organizations aren't including a DEI goal, there's always a lot of conversation about it. So I wanna start at a fairly fundamental level and ask about just the term diversity, equity, inclusion, because we used to talk just about diversity goals, but now um, including the three, diversity, equity, inclusion, seems to be really important. Help me understand why. Why, why have we stringed these words together? Why are they important?
0: So when we have diversity at some level, whether it's race, ethnicity, gender, sexual identity, sexual orientation, all of those pieces, it can become a very tokenizing Mm. piece where like, I can just say like, oh, look, I have a, you know, black employee. Oh, look, I have a Latina employee. And it becomes like, almost like this phrase that I've heard from many different clients, checkwity. Like we just, we just want to show that we have it but we're not actually gonna change anything. And so for those folks of differing identities, they're like, well, I don't feel included, right? So there's that sense of belonging. Does this organization actually really want me here because of my expertise and my experience in all those identities? Or is it just so they can put me on a brochure or a marketing campaign? And then the equity piece comes into the justice and like the fairness piece. Are we actually including folks in a way that actually helps us to change an outcome
1: okay
0: so depending on what your organization is it's not just that you want people who are diverse where you are you want a diverse workforce that feels included and so that your outcomes actually change and that's the equity piece for them and for your clients
1: so what about inclusion then? What, is, what are we trying to accomplish with using that term inclusion? So
0: inclusion means that those folks that you've brought to the party, right? So if diversity is like, we got you in the door, we've got folks of different identities. Inclusion is that you actually have some uh, role to play. It's not just for show.
1: Okay.
0: Meaning that you are you have a stake in in decisions. You have a stake in where the organization is going. You have some power related to that.
1: So it's, it's meaningful. I, when you put the three together, diversity, equity, inclusion, it is representation, and it is, as you're saying, justice in the workplace, structural, probably structural justice also in the workplace, and then meaningful inclusion. So if we can, if we can accomplish all three, then we know that we're advancing mm-hmm. as, as an organization and as a community. Yep, that makes a lot of sense. So when we talk about diversity, equity, inclusion with associations, we see it on different levels. The conversation happens on different levels. The interesting thing to me, so I've been doing this for 30 years now and probably maybe 15 years ago, it became, there was an optics related to diversity and where that showed up first was honestly in the marketing department. Mm -hmm. where we were starting to put images out you know in our brochures or on the web or whatever we were um, creating uh graphics wherever we were creating graphics and photographs there was a sensitivity it it seemed to me especially on the marketing side that we were looking like we were an inclusive organization Mm -hmm. now that didn't have a whole lot of meaning except for the optics it didn't it didn't reflect anything going on in those organizations and it certainly Mm -hmm. didn't um something you know to to happen change to happen in those organizations. but there was this general awareness is that we had to look inclusive Mm -hmm. and I would say you know certainly diversity has been a topic of conversation for a long time but it's only really been the last at least in my experience the last four or five years where Mm -hmm. boards are asking the question um, do we need a DEI goal for the organization and that could take the form of our leadership you know or do we have a diverse base of leaders um are, are is there equity is there inclusion um it could be a staffing related goal mm-hmm. um, it could also be a what i'll call a workforce or a professional goal are we developing our workforce so that it's um diverse and inclusive so there's different layers um especially with professional associations that we can look at Uh, DEI from. Is is that common in your experience? Are you seeing that with other organizations that you're working on, um, that there's just layers to what we're looking at?
0: Yeah, I think that that shift that you just named, which is the shift between um, showing our diversity and and showing that we value representation. And representation only matters (laughs) in the ways that that those folks actually are part of the organization and can shape and change and transform the organization. So the way that I would name this now, the conversation I have most often with clients is we have our uh, hiring goal in terms of diversity. And then what is your retention goal? Mm -hmm. So what actually has to change? So So you get the people in the door, you hire them. So you've hit your diversity in race ethnicity gender sexual identity and then what happens to retention because if we just get in the door but the organization doesn't change as a result and it's still folks of you know kind of a mostly shared identities and that there's not a lot of genuine transformation happening then those folks are going to leave mm-hmm. and i think that's part of what's happening right now is part of this you know folks you know there's lots of ways to explain the narrative And I think one factor is when we hire for diversity only, but don't include inclusion and equity, that's when we lose people later. The retention part falls apart.
1: Yeah, so the Great Recession has um, like what you're suggesting is many tentacles it's not just you know the pandemic the pandemic gives us an opportunity to make other choices as frankly probably does the gig economy where it is mm-hmm. just it, we were already on this track of having gig workers and now you know we've got some of those systems that support them so it's easier so when we think about diversity one of the things i've encountered in board conversations is that you know we say that word and Every individual that's a part of that conversation has something that runs through their mind about what diversity means to them. And sometimes um, I would say they use the term to reinforce you know, their own, what I'm gonna call biases for maybe lack of a better term right now. So if what I wanna do is promote more women in my organization, I might talk about the lack of diversity and I mean the fact that we, we don't have gender diversity. Um, where, you know, if somebody else is going to hear that term, they're going to think about cultural diversity or ethnic diversity. Um, do we have this conversation on the one-off that we start kind of moving down the demographic categories? Or do we have the conversation as a whole? What is, how do we tackle DEI from the perspective of what we're talking about or who we're talking about?
0: That's an excellent question. Like I have a love hate relationship with the word diversity <laughs> because of that very reason. Cause some folks say it, they mean racial diversity. Some folks say it, they mean gender. Right. And, and so I think that importance of asking that question and that's part of the normalizing of, of just that. Like, so when we say diversity, what kind of diversity are we talking about? Is it ages? We want like, folks, you know, we want Gen Z to, you know, boomers, like, what, what is it that we're really trying to say when we use diversity? And I, I have found that that's been actually one of the hardest pieces is when we get the, the, what's the word I want to use, like the, the shortcut language that we just want to rely on the shortcut language to avoid the harder conversations of like, okay, so like, yeah, you're a super diverse white organization Mm -hmm. when it comes to religion, when it comes to sexual identity, when it comes to age, like when it comes to socioeconomics, and you're not super diverse when it comes to race and ethnicity, right? And so how do we normalize that it doesn't become a protection that shuts down a conversation versus a question that Opens up possibilities to more change and more possibility.
1: Yeah, I just I see that as being very key because I think there's a natural, especially so I'm thinking about the people. You know, I'm going to use that term, people in charge, for a second. So whether it's people in charge, meaning the board members, or people in charge, meaning the staff leaders, um, there's also a kind of built-in defensiveness because you know I'm going to be. kind when I say this and that you know we're all trying to you know do the best we can mm-hmm. no that's not necessarily true but let's start with that promise. in my in my experience we're trying to do the best we can we know we're going to come up short and that often creates a certain defensiveness or a you know a kind of desire to be tested and say we can get an A here but we're you know all right so maybe we're getting a C or a D or an E or F rather you know here so we're trying to be often better than we are in if we're looking at it as a whole when you work with organizations um do you ever do an objective assessment of those organizations and kind of help them see you know like how diverse an organization are how inclusive or an organization are they are um how do you help add some objectivity without building defensiveness as you're having these conversations
0: oh my gosh you said so many things there <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> nope. it's good so oh gosh so one thing that i want to say is kind of in objectivity um So even sometimes simply asking the question, like, do you know, to an organization, like, do you know the racial demographics? Do you know the gender demographics? Which I would argue in some ways is an objective question, but folks feel like it's not, like it's already laden with things. So I've kind of let go of there are things to be like objectivity. I'm clear, like I'm here to like help understand and wonder about what what do your numbers actually mean right so when i hear you say that kind of assessment it's like so let's do a little equity audit and see see what comes out of it but even that i think never feels objective so i just wanted to name that um and then that defensiveness piece isn't the question isn't meant to be a question of like you've done something wrong the question is we've all been part of kind of a cultural shift, a cultural bringing, a systemic pieces. And I know both cultural and systemic can have, again, not feel objective to folks, right? Because it is asking us to think about, so what has our experience been in our perspective been and why are we where we are now? And it's not about blame, it just is, right? Mm-hmm. And that question in and of itself brings that feeling of like, I have personally done something to create inequity yeah. if we don't have a lot of women or we don't have a lot of people of color or- we
1: personalize it.
0: Yeah, and so yeah. that's where the defensive piece comes in. And so I feel like that's that skill building, muscle building as one of my great mentors, a, a black woman once taught me of just like, we need to practice this skill as anything else. So for white folks, sometimes, or, you know, folks who have different, you know, gender identities, sexual identities, like we don't have a lot of practice when our identity is normalized. So for other folks, it's like, but just simply asking the question can feel like, oh my gosh, this is like, I've done something wrong. And it's like, no, there's nothing wrong. We're just trying to figure out where are we? And then what do we want to do about it?
1: Yeah. and, And that's hard right now, I think, because of a couple of different things. One is that um, because of the pandemic, we're doing a lot of Zoom meetings. So we're having these conversations when we're not physically together. And so we're missing, you know, I think even coming into the pandemic, we were seeing a decline in trust um, in general in groups. And then you add the pandemic on top of that in the interface of the technology and um, whatever that in-person vibe is that says we're okay or we're not okay as we're having the conversation, we're missing that. And so these conversations are, um, you know, so important right now and so hard to have because of a little bit, I, I would say maybe a lack of intimacy in terms of the conversation where I can trust you and you can trust me and we're reinforcing that with, you know, things other than our words, so our body language and, you know, our attention and, and all of those kinds of things. When we have the conversations at, at board meetings, and you know, it's interesting, I'm gonna be going to a, uh, a strategic planning session in California um, in a couple of days. And um, kind of hearkening back to your point about diversity being um, you know, a shortcut term, it, it keeps us from really thinking about what we're talking about. And this group is an education group, education technology group. So um, super interesting right now, especially from a DEI perspective and um, the chair of the board was talking to me uh, using the term of diversity to talk about upstate downstate kind of you know issues and do we have enough diversity of leadership there and i was like is that diversity or representation that we're talking about from a board perspective and he was like you know what you're right you're absolutely right it's representation i don't want to mix up the two and so you know kind of putting parameters around the conversation and and being as specific with our language as we possibly can be, I think, is, is really important. And then the other important part in having these conversations, I'm quite sure because it's true of everything else, is that people feel free to express themselves even if they're going to tumble over their words. Mm-hmm. And I think for especially for sensitive uh, people, empathetic people, it may be even more difficult to speak up because they... They don't want to for lack of better terms contradict somebody else or somebody else's experience um, or it seem like they're disagreeing how do we empower everybody to participate in the conversation whether it's at the board meeting or a, a hiring manager meeting a staff how is it that we draw people out to get them engaged and and you know help them learn help the organization advance
0: well i think that that goes to one of those questions of culture within an organization. And so to, to, you know, when you, when you talked about kind of like, kind of doing the equity audit type of thing, like there's also like part of an equity audit for me is part of that, that cultural piece. And so what gets normalized in terms of building trust? Like who gets to define how trust is built? Who gets to say like, I trust you (laughs) without asking like, do you trust me? And, I think the ways in which we can, again, build skill around asking those types of questions rather than assuming, like, do we all assume that trust means the same thing?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I had an amazing conversation with a client a few months ago, and they were talking about when it came to start hiring, like, we want people who are really passionate about what we do. And I was like, so tell me what passionate looks like to you. And passionate to them were was extroverted, was super friendly, was like out there and all these things. And I was like, well, could could passionate also look like I stay in my space and I just get the work done. Like I'm not I'm not out there. I'm not effusive. But both are passionate. I was like, so we have to be really careful with how we define those things. So when we say trust, and I find this in racial equity work, white people's definition of trust is often different than that of black folks, indigenous folks, Asian folks, Latinx, Latine, Hispanic, multiracial, biracial, like, and so we have to hold space for that conversation. So I guess what I'm saying <laughs> to like, try to sum it up is we actually have to define what trust is culturally and ha- have, have the ways we've built trust to this point within this organization are they helping us or are they in hindering us
1: it, it, you know this is so interesting a colleague of mine kevin martledge um, does a lot of uh, kind of culture building work with organizations mm-hmm. and um you know kind of listening to him talk about it it is it's true what rings true for me about what you're saying is that i can't imagine what it's like having the dei conversation with an organization that's at a trust deficit to begin with mm-hmm. and then also Thinking about it as you know, I'll speak for myself as a white woman, I would say um, that mostly I walk into group situations um, with trust as a default. Um, I I personally am not all that wary, but I don't think my experiences have built wary into me so much. I mean, I'm generally go in, um, especially at this point in my career, I tend to, you know, be a little bit, have a little bit of authority and people are listening to me. And even as a consultant, they're paying you. So they tend to listen to you anyway. But when you talk about trust, meaning different things to different people, I think even that point of whether somebody assumes trust because of their experience or assumes a lack of trust or that they can't trust because of their experience mm-hmm. is just something we don't read the room for generally, right? We don't you know, think about where our participants are coming from. And that could be, again, in board meetings, that would be true, in staff meetings, and all sorts of, or just being a staff member, as you're pointing out it. We have all sorts of different experiences. So how important is assessing the culture of an organization before you start the DEI work?
0: I think it's a both and. I don't I don't know that it's an either or like you can't start it and organizations need to know if you're going to do DEI work with integrity and fidelity, you're going to examine your culture and and have to name that some things aren't working.
1: So you can tackle both trust and DEI Mm -hmm. almost synergistically.
0: I think you do, yeah.
1: Yeah, and that's pretty powerful because I I mean, I think that that trust is, again, as we've talked about before, it's just a major issue right Mm -hmm. now. And as, you know, I'm hoping this might be generational, but I'm hoping people, you know, do get back to the workforce and I mean, the workplace and we're able to have more in-person conversations. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I just wonder what that's gonna be like. I do a lot of thinking about what is their return to work and what is return to work, you know, actually going to look like.
0: Yeah, and may may I offer one more thing on the trust piece? so one of the things in in because i loved what you said about it's both about the trust that i assume people will trust me and the level of trust that i assume of the others right and the piece that i have found in facilitating conversations about race specifically with organizations is that often white folks assume that everyone trusts them and then that defensiveness comes up when they're like, oh, wait, not all people of color trust me. Right. And we can do that with gender. We can do that with socioeconomics. I mean, and I find that the race one is the one that often creates the most fire.
1: Mm-hmm. I think that's true. And it's. I think it's also, I think, you know, for a lot of, again, I'll kind of speak for myself, but I wonder if this is true for other people. You know, there's a point in our adult, typically our adult lives, I think, where we realize that we aren't trusted, let's say by people of color, for example, mm-hmm. and and that can be hard to understand. I had a what a person who I think really was a very good friend. She was a work colleague and good enough friend that you know she would come over to my house, but she'd never invite me to her house. And w- one day I asked her she was African American, and I asked her, you know, just out of curiosity, <laughs> just kind of wondering, and she's like, "We don't do it." You know essentially i I would not invite a white person to a family dinner and um you know i truly loved her so i didn't you know i wasn't uh, angry or whatever but i had to think about that for weeks and you know what what does that mean what is that and and again i think it comes down to a lack of trust i don't see it was it didn't occur to me as a bias as much i mean a a prejudice i should say as much as a, a trust issue Mm-hmm. Um, and that was their experience and certainly her experience. And she was able to, she just was able to name it. She didn't hem and haw about it. It was it was just fat for her, you know, mm-hmm. it was just something there. And so then, you know, I think for me that, what that did is because, you know, because she was such a good friend, then I, my instinct was to put myself in her shoes and say, okay, where is she coming from and what is that? Now, you know, I think it's probably, hard when we don't know each other as well to to do that you know put let me put myself in your shoes and kind of understand where you're coming from when we're having these conversations that are you know kind of crucial conversations they're difficult conversations to have as a facilitator and I, I imagine you've been in lots of these kind of conversations where two people in the room are having to figure each other out how as a facilitator do you kind of help make that a safe environment for them you know to have these very difficult conversations or for a you know let's say a board in that case to have a difficult yeah. conversation
0: so the first thing i'll say is that i definitely kind of avoid the word safe because i can't ever mm. assure that it's safe for anyone Um, what i can assure is that i know it'll be uncomfortable and if it becomes truly unsafe then i will I will make moves to change it. So I just want to name that. When it comes to building trust, I think it depends on the organization. One of the things that I often talk about is, you know, so let's say we're with a board and the board members have been on the the board together for two years. And so the question I'll simply ask is, so do you trust each other? Mm -hmm. If so, why? And if you don't, why not? But that assumes that there's even going to be trust in answering the question, right? But that then will immediately surface. Well, I don't feel comfortable answering that question because I don't trust the people in the room. I think sometimes that idea of like, we've been in proximity, so therefore we trust, but if we don't actually intentionally, and by trust, again, we have to define what trust means. So if it's cross-racially, like, people of color are going to trust that white folks are going to hear their story and not argue, dismissed, minimize, rationalize away, um, or use for their own benefit, right? And so for white folks to trust, like, I'm going to make a mistake with you, person of color, and you're not going to label me as, like, you know, never to be worked with again. So both there's trust all around. But if we're not really talking about what trust looks like and means, Or why there isn't trust already? Because I'm already coming in organizations where most people have had relationships for years. So if you don't trust each other, like that's not really about me as a, again, as a facilitator, it's about you and your culture. So how can I ask some questions and build some of that capacity so that you can sustain these conversations so that like one moment of conflict doesn't blow everything up. And I think that that's what happens with trust. It's like, well, I can't trust this. So it blows up and then we just don't talk about it.
1: Yeah. Or it doesn't, it fails to blow up because everybody's just quiet about it. You know what I mean? That somebody says something and they'll go, I'm going to let that ride, you know, or I'm not going to. It's the
0: compliance conversation. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That makes it really difficult. Well, speaking of compliance, you know, so it's been, uh, and I, I have to look in Illinois, but I'm going to say at least 15, maybe even 20 years since we've had compliance training around diversity. Has it done us some good? (laughs) Um, I think so. I think
0: because I think in the ways it's it's been done well, it's actually built that skill. Like folks who are able to engage in difficult conversations, you know, challenging conversations and not just like give up and like leave. And then it becomes this like repeating circle. I think in some ways that it has been helpful because if we never even have to try, we never even have to enter the arena. So I don't have to, I don't have to build any skill at all.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I think that the I used to work for American Express, and our diversity training at American Express was already online. And this was, you know, two thousand, so it was good twenty years ago when we were, you know, starting to do it. And then later, in uh, when I was working at Apex, we had uh, somebody from the state of Illinois came in and did our diversity training, and that was in person. And the difference between the two was really impressive. So on, uh, American Express is going to have excellent programs, right? They're going to put money into it. It's going to be really good. And it was good online and it built awareness. But the in-person training that we had allowed for conversation, which really was more challenging in some ways, but more mm-hmm. there was more insight to be gained from that conversation mm-hmm. uh, with the whole staff. I mean, we, were, we weren't too large to have a whole staff meeting at that time. Um, and so, you know, there's compliance and compliance training and, you know, of the two, interestingly enough, you know, I thought the in-person was much better and much more meaningful. And, I, you know, what I also think around compliance training, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, pretty supportive in general of the different types of compliance training we do, because like active listening skills where, you know, as a consultant, I will probably take a listening skills class, usually online now, but every year because keeping that skill sharp is really important to me. If I'm not listening and I'm not hearing then I'm missing a whole lot and my work product isn't gonna be as good. And so I think I listen for, you know, a living sometimes and I imagine you feel pretty much the same thing that that listening skill is so important. But being able to have, you know, take the uh, compliance training, like diversity training year after year is that refresher just is so important you know, to me as well, that we, it just keeps our skills sharp.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm really glad you named that. Cause when I say compliance, I don't, I mean it in the way that it's like, as me person taking it, mm-hmm. I can just check the box and be like, I did that thing. And I don't actually have to change anything. I don't mean compliance in ways in which systems are are helping, like those refresher courses and like building the skills, like the, like it's compliance in that like, yeah, you got to do it, yeah. but there's like an accountability. I'm talking about the compliance when there's no accountability to it. And so it's just like, yeah, okay. I learned about, you know, racial differences and I won't do anything different in the way that I show yeah, up. Yeah,
1: that we we can say the right things um, after the course, but it may not change our behavior.
0: Exactly. Um,
1: yeah, and that is, I mean, and and in, in the end, you know, this isn't. There's a piece of this, certainly a major piece of it, that's about understanding. But, you know, when we're doing one of the things that's hard about strategic planning, and we think about changing behaviors, is the biggest struggle in organizational strategic planning especially i think with nonprofit organizations in general is that we spend so much time coming up with a beautiful plan that we can represent in a page Mm -hmm. and we can put it on our website and we Mm -hmm. you know feel good about it and it's well constructed Mm -hmm. and it that exhausts us to get that far Mm -hmm. and then we just do things the way that we've always done them Mm -hmm. and so you know over the last you know six or seven you know years one of the things that i've been really stressing is um, you know, yes, we'll go through and do this planning, mm-hmm. but the really heavy lifting comes after the board meets and when we have to operationalize these plans. Mm-hmm. And when I think about, you know, if whether it's a DEI goal or, you know, we're, we're trying to work on our culture um, and change, it's about changing behaviors. That's mm-hmm. important that we've done, maybe not in a sufficient amount of, of awareness building and education, but we've done enough of that, that we should be able now to really move on to that phase where we're really trying to change behaviors. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. No,
0: I, I love that. And like, I so much think that that second piece, like, as you said, so you've got the plan, it's out there, it's beautiful. And then nothing really changes in terms of behavior. So you have a belief out there in your strategic plan, but then how do the be- be- behaviors um, align or not align? And that becomes then that accountability conversation.
1: And do you go, so when, when we think about strategic planning, what we try to do, of course, is to look at something that's tangible and tangible outcomes. Like we will know that we're on the right path if these observable things are true. Um, And a lot of times with strategic planning, it's an increase in revenue, more participants, greater awareness. What are some of the kinds of metrics that we're looking at when we're talking about if we're going to have a DEI goal in our strategic plan or, you know, for our operational um, plans as well? What are the kind of metrics that you're looking at? What are you what are your targets?
0: Yeah, well, I'll go back to the one I named before, which I think almost all clients want, which is like hiring, hiring for more diversity. Right. So and the, and that's tangible, right? And then I'm going to name again the tacking on of retention. So it's not just that we hired them, but that, like folks stay for uh, for some time and actually impact our our piece. So I think that that's one that I I just keep. I feel a little bit like repetitive, and I think it bears like it bears such importance because if all the folks that we're trying to hire right now. Don't focus on retention. We're just going to keep seeing this recursive piece.
1: Well, and I think that that translates really well into some other areas, you know, and so some other kinds of metrics for associations, too. So outside of the staff organization, who are we attracting to be members of our organization? There you go. Um, how long are they staying as members? Are they advancing into leadership positions? Mm-hmm you know, within our association. And so I think, you know, there are real tangible metrics that we can set and we can watch over time. It's not gonna happen overnight, Mm -hmm. especially with members of the association because there's so many other kinds of Mm -hmm. things that are outside of our control. Mm -hmm. Um, Do they wanna pay for it? Are we giving enough value? You know, those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Um, But we are able you know, with our systems right now, to be able to collect that demographic information and track mm-hmm. it over time and see if we're really advancing. It's even easier on the governance side mm-hmm. um, when we look at you know how many people we're bringing into committees and you know what roles they're uh, playing and are they able to get well enough known so they can advance even to the board mm-hmm. of organizations. So it's in you know the word as you're talking today, I keep thinking about is advance advancement. You know, it's mm-hmm. progression. It's that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a light switch, you know, we're not going to, again, going back to the strategic plan, we're not going to put a DEI goal in a strategic plan and accomplish that in three years. It's not going to happen. So uh, for most organizations anyway. So what does advancement look like?
0: Well, and I think this is another important metric that I want to name, which is that kind of what you just said, which is like the DEI isn't just like an add on to the strategic plan. Like there's a DEI goal, but actually like, so what are all your other goals and what do DEI have to do with that?
1: Yeah. So, is it is it really a foundational goal? If you think about a house, we're really talking about. Well, of course, our people are the foundation, right? So, mm-hmm. so diversity, equity, and inclusion is part of um, diverse, equal, and inclusive are those characteristics that we want um, to build into our foundation, mm-hmm. and you know that just makes for a stronger house. It's. I mean, I think that we probably accept that at this point. For the. I mean. Rationally, most rational people like <laughs> something I want to say. And I'll leave it at that. But um, yeah, that makes, um, I think that that makes a lot of, of really good sense. So, uh, Christy, I want to give you a little bit of a chance to talk about the services that you offer. Tell us a little bit about what you do with nonprofit organizations and groups.
0: Sure. So, my experience has been um, so, as a white woman, um, I often um, co facilitate. So, I'll come in and co facilitate with a, a woman of color or a man of color. Um, which is kind of foundational to go back to foundation that you just named in my philosophy, which is I'm working towards the um, healthy multiracial future that I want to see. And so that's kind of core to me. And so in doing that, um, I offer um, a lot of series we do with senior leadership. So that might be within your organization and or with the board. And sometimes that's joint and sometimes separate depending on the organization itself. But I think to go back to your your kind of strategic plan, like what are the metrics? And we're thinking about, you know, um, DEI within the organization, but the organization also includes the board. And so those pieces are super important. And what in those conversations happens is this precisely what we've been talking about. So what are what's the culture that's most essential to your organization that you feel needs to continue? And then we do some examination of, and how is that culture either helping or hindering your DEI goals? For us, we often think about working with senior leadership first, mm-hmm. so that senior leadership can kind of build their own muscles. Like if I'm not real comfortable talking about race, ethnicity, gender identity, sexual identity, ableism like all these things like giving senior leadership a chance to practice that together and be supported together before we roll it out to like an all staff
1: and so do you um i know you do so i'm asking send you a softball question here but education sessions sessions for um associations who who want to do this development work either within bodies of their volunteers or mm-hmm. uh, within their staff this is something they could contact you about as well and you would work on topics yes
0: absolutely we do you know our whole point is really thinking about long-term. I'm, I'm, I'm probably not your best partner if you want like one, two-hour session. Mm-hmm. However, if you want to think about how do we do this training so it becomes transformational. To go back to the action piece that, that you kind of uh, focused on at the beginning, how do we actually make this transformational <laughs> so that it's not just not compliance, I would just mean a checklist, but it's compliance in that like I care about this and I actually want to change it in my role as a volunteer, as a board member, as a leader, as a
1: yeah, and so you, we've also
0: done work, too, with where we do, you know, with, you know, those you serve for with not for profits as well, you know, that we can do cro- cross uh, purpose, cross role and really think about, again, the strategy where we try and get.
1: It? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, our uh, clients and people living, to, listening to this podcast can certainly contact us um, to get your information. But you want to just give us some uh, ways that people can contact you. Sure. So you can find me at christinesaxman.com. That's
0: C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-E-S-A-X-M-A-N.com. And that's the bet, probably one of the best places. I'm also on LinkedIn. You can also find me uh, uh, on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, But I'd be happy to talk um, with anyone who has questions uh, about how to, again, to really take this into transformational action.
1: Well, I think it's so very important and I really, really appreciate you um, taking the time to talk to us today. And again, I'll remind our audience that we're glad to connect you to Christine directly as well, if you want to contact us. Um, but I'm, I'm really hoping, Christine, in the future that you and I will get an opportunity to work together so I can learn more from you. It's a really, really important subject. So thank you again so much for your time um, and energy today in the podcast.
0: Thank you, Sharon, for your energy and your Great questions.
1: Oh, wonderful. All right. Thank you, everyone. And we will talk to you soon.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode and discovered tips and information that will add value to your leadership style and your association.org source specializes in positioning teams for success with solutions for technology, strategy, and marketing please contact us at info at orgsource.com or visit www.orgsource.com to find out how to keep your organization on track to Association 4.0.